Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series, The Crossroad, today, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 9, verses 26 to 41, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Healing and the Things that Matter Most. I have memories of several encounters with demonic beings in my ministry. You know, in one case, after the demons were driven away, the woman came to faith in Christ. And in the other case, the woman rejected Christ for she didn't want his salvation at all. I say this to help us gain some insight. Someone can be healed and delivered or even been given a great blessing from none other than Jesus Christ himself and then still reject him as Lord and Savior. It happens all the time. That tells us something. Healing is never the most important thing. The most important thing is always, what are we going to do with Jesus? John chapter 9 is the story of conversion. You're going to remember that I've been contrasting John chapter 9 with John chapter 5. These two chapters are the only recorded miracles that Jesus did while he was in Jerusalem. In the case of John 5, Jesus healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. But rather than falling in gratefulness before him, this man helps the Jewish leaders persecute Jesus, and that led Jesus to warn him, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Now, what became of that man? How did the rest of his life unfold? Well, we're not told, and I suspect the end of his life was tragic. Having come so close to the grace of God, he saw no advantage in it. But the man born blind in John 9, well, that's the opposite story. After the healing and then after the initial confrontation with the Pharisees, well, we'll see a fascinating man. Let me try to find words to describe him. He's not easily intimidated. He knows how to think on his feet. He's even lippy, and he's clearly intelligent. He's not a pushover, that's a fact. The threats don't work on him. He has more moxie, sheer courage, than anyone ever realized that is until now. And he sure isn't interested in religion for the sake of religion. You might have an important title, but if you're wrong about something, this guy's going to let you know. Now, what we find in the last section of this story actually unfolds in three parts. The first is his unwillingness to be bullied into submission by a lie. The second is his willingness to entrust his life to Jesus. And the third part of the story is not so much his story, but it's the fallout that comes from it. So let's start with the first part. The man born blind and yet now healed by Jesus is being harassed by the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees hate Jesus. You know, at first they wanted to say this man is not the man who was healed. But now the evidence is in. He was born blind and now he sees. Then next they try to argue that it wasn't Jesus who healed him at all. But this man isn't budging on that. Oh yeah, he says it was. And so now they have a third plan. We're going to prove that Jesus really is a sinner. Perhaps he's like one of the magicians in Pharaoh's day who do miracles through the magic arts. And so they demand of this man, the man who was healed, that he confess that Jesus is a sinner. And he responds, well, I really can't speak to that. All I can say is, I was blind from birth and he healed me. Now I can see. Well, of course, that won't do. And so the battle heats up. I'm reading now John 9, verses 26 to 34. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now, I think before we look at the details of what we just read, there's a point to be made. Before anyone converts, there's usually a sense in them that there are certain answers about life and truth that they no longer find satisfying. Let me give you an example. See, I remember years ago leading a Bible study for a group of people, none of them knew Christ. And as we were getting going, that is, at the first meeting we had, one of the guys in the group said that he was unsure about all of this because after all, he said, religion is just a crutch for people who can't deal with life. Well, those words were hardly out of his mouth when he was interrupted by another man in the group who said, look, can you do me a favor? I've heard those tired arguments all my life and, and I know they're worthless arguments. Can you just can that stuff? Because we like to hear something different for the first time. Well, that brought realism into the room because it also paved the way for that man's conversion. And he was saying, I'm no longer going to be swayed by reasoning that has led me to the meaningless life that I now endure. I'm tired of the old arguments and I fully reject them. See, the journey toward Christ often begins by closing the door to answers that we no longer accept. And that's what's happening here. The Pharisees who are desperate to discredit Jesus are demanding of the man born blind, go over it again. Maybe there's a subtle inconsistency that we can find in this story, and maybe we can intimidate you and get you to turn your back on Jesus. Maybe he can just say, God miraculously healed me, but it had nothing to do with Jesus. And now look how this man born blind reacts. Quite unlike his parents, He's not going to be intimidated by religious authorities anymore. You know, he's tired of their authority. And in essence, he just slams the door to their influence in his life. He is done with them. And so he mocks them. You want to hear it again, he says? Do you want to become his followers? <laughs> See what I said? This guy's got moxie. And it's right here that we find the crux of why rabbinic Judaism rejected Jesus in the first place. Notice again verse 28. They say, we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke through Moses. We don't think that God spoke through Jesus. Dr. D.A. Carson calls this a profoundly hermeneutical question. That is, what's at stake here is how one understands the Bible. Well, look back at John 5, 39. Jesus is speaking to the religious teachers, and here's what he says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. That is, according to Jesus, if you understand Moses rightly, it will ultimately lead you to me. And according to the Pharisees, if you understand Moses rightly, it'll cause you to reject Jesus. So I hope you see that this is to this very day the difference between Christianity and rabbinic Judaism. We both read the same book, but we come to a remarkably different conclusion about what we read. So what accounts for that? 
Well, from the outset, have a look at Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus accuses the Pharisees of avoiding the word of God because they prefer the rabbinic traditions over the plain teaching of the text. He was in that instance speaking about how the Pharisees ignored the command to honor father and mother. And there was a tradition that said you could offer the temple what you might have offered to your parents. And Jesus was saying, I don't care what your traditions say. Scripture has ultimate authority. Now, we could say the same thing about how the Pharisees dealt with the Sabbath. By adding oral traditions to Sabbath commands, they took away from the focus of rest and of God and replaced it with multiple rules. And furthermore, if you read Paul on that matter, he argues that the Pharisees had devised a way to make it look like the law proved them righteous rather than condemned them as sinners. Paul said the Pharisees were scripture twisters. By the time they were done with the law, they made it seem like the Bible taught works righteousness rather than justification by faith. See, the crux of Paul's debate, if you spend time in, you know, books like Galatians and other books, Romans is another example, uh, you're going to find Paul saying that there is a way of viewing the law as justifying oneself, but that's always based on an illusion. The law was truly intended to condemn everyone and send them packing to God, pleading for a savior. Well, that's a discussion for another day, but all of that leads us to an important lesson. See, it's possible to read the Bible, and in consequence, from reading the Bible, we become pompous, self-righteous, and we use the Bible to condemn others and justify ourselves. When pride is left unchecked, And when the biblical commands don't reduce us to tears, testifying that we need a savior, well, all the Bible reading in the world only makes us worse. That's the issue. I know people who have for a lifetime used the Bible as a sword to condemn everyone except themselves. They see others guilty but are never moved to confess their own sins. They're spiritual, surely, and they're religious, but they're also pompous fools. That's really not Bible study at all. It is instead a lesson on feeding pride and arrogance. I would argue that's why the Pharisees rejected Jesus in his day. Connecting God's people to God's Word in our world today is critical. And Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld engages timely issues of life and faith so important for God's people to engage and discuss. Special guests each week examine critical issues that impact our lives and our journey with Jesus. So join us on Truth and Life today by tuning in on Vision TV every Sunday at 1230 Eastern or subscribe to the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or simply visit us online at backtothebible.ca. And send us an email at info at backtothebible.ca to let us know that you're watching. If you'd like to learn more or share a gift to support the ministry of Truth and Life today or any of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
When the Pharisees say that they're disciples of Moses, well, there's a reason to dispute that. It'd be far more accurate to say they were disciples of the rabbinic traditions. Adding layers upon layers on top of the Bible, they had obscured the actual meaning of the Bible. But this is a theological debate the man born blind is not competent to deal with. But then, just then, the Pharisees commit an error. They say of Jesus, in contrast to Moses, we don't even know where he's from. That is, what they're saying is, we know that Moses got his authority from God, but we don't know where this guy Jesus gets his authority. We have no understanding, therefore, how this man is able to heal. And this man, the man born blind, well, he seizes on that statement. Ah, he says, so you admit that you're ignorant about him. Now, here he is performing miracles, amazing miracles, and I'm the latest example. And furthermore, although there are examples of blind people being healed in the past, there has never been a single healing of a man born blind being healed. That's never happened before. It's a totally unique event. And further, the Bible in multiple places over and over again says that God will not respond to the prayers of the wicked. I mean, this man, he could have quoted Psalm 34, verse 15, which says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Psalm 145, 18 to 19 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. That is, the Bible is filled with examples of God setting his face against the wicked, but hearing the cry of the godly. And that's the man born blind. That's his comment. You say Jesus is wicked, and yet inexplicably, God in heaven keeps listening to him, keeps allowing him to heal in ways the world has never seen before. If you think you can intimidate me, look, I'm closing the door to your influence in my life. Your answers don't work for me anymore. You know, as I've said, this man shows that he's more than a handful. And so, as I've also said, it might be that this kind of an attitude is often the case before conversion. Sometimes people say, you know, I've, I've heard the same old tired arguments before. You know, in our day, you know, religion is a crutch. Or, you know, we ought to have the freedom to express our sexual urges anytime we want to. And, you know, and in ancient Israel, don't argue with the Pharisees. This man isn't buying tired arguments. They don't satisfy his soul. See, I find the response of the Pharisees to be amazing now. Instead of listening carefully and then responding, they simply act with rage. After all, who's this man? He's not studied in their institutions. He can't answer them. And so they say to the man born blind, you were born in utter sin. Now, now that comment takes us all the way back to the beginning of this incident. You're going to remember that it was Jesus' disciples who first encountered this blind man. And their question back then was, who sinned, this man or his parents? Somebody must have sinned. And now that the man's healed and won't submit to the Pharisees, the Pharisees answer the disciples' question. Clearly, it was this man who sinned. I mean, after all, wasn't he born blind? Didn't God curse him back then? He was born in utter sin. Well, now, if that's true, I hope you see the argument of the Pharisees has just trapped them. They've just admitted that he was born blind and that an outstanding miracle had been done. But the Pharisees are in no mood for any further discussion. They simply excommunicate the man now and the discussion is over. There's a wonderful promise that's found in Psalm 27, verse 10. It simply says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. 
Jesus promised something very similar in, in Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So the cost of following Jesus might be high, that is, from this world's perspective. But God does not abandon those who are his own. And so that brings us now to the second section of our passage. The argument with the Pharisees is over. The man born blind can now see, but he's also excommunicated from the synagogue and, he, and he's shut off from his people. In effect, he's left alone. And that's where we come now to John 9, 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. I've said before that simply experiencing one of the Lord's miracles is hardly enough. Lots of people have received miracles, and yet still, they've never surrendered their lives to Jesus. And furthermore, doesn't every living human being want miracles? I mean, it may be a physical healing. I mean, you might want to win the lottery. You might dream of success and fame, and you might go to God and pray to God for those very things. You know, sometimes what we want is mercy. Sometimes what we want is to indulge our flesh, but the world is filled with daily prayers directed towards God. You know, Psalm 145 verse 9 says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Yep, God often blesses sinners, but the blessing of God often doesn't lead us to faith and repentance. Witness people who go to Christian healing service, many of them are never converted. But here in John 9, we meet a man who has stood up to the Pharisees and he's paid the price and now he's all alone and Jesus finds him. And what's interesting to me, at least, is that this man has never physically seen Jesus. Remember, Jesus told him to wash in the pool of Siloam and then he saw by that time, I mean, Jesus was already gone. But Jesus has been looking for him and when he finds him, he begins with a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? It's an interesting question. You might wonder why he doesn't ask, do you believe in the Son of God? Or do you believe in the Messiah? Or even far more direct, do you believe in me? But he doesn't ask that. He asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? You know, it may be, and I think that's the case here, that Jesus simply assumes that this man knows what that title means, Son of Man. You know, in Daniel 7, 13 to 14, the Son of Man is a heavenly figure who approaches the Ancient of Days, that is God himself. And then he's given authority to rule the nations. I think the blind man understood this instantly. Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man responds, I'm willing to believe in him. I'm, I'm willing because even though I don't trust these Pharisees, I trust you. And then here's one of the great revelations of the identity of Jesus. I am the Son of Man. I'm the one that Daniel spoke about. I'm the one who has been given authority from my Father to rule over all the nations. And the man born blind responds immediately. First, he calls Jesus Lord. And secondly, he says, I believe that you are who you say you are. And then third, he falls down before him and does the unthinkable. He worships him. That's conversion. It's to believe in Jesus fully. It's to fully trust him. It's to fully rely on him. It's to believe that he's Lord and God. It's to fall before him, acknowledging his authority over you, worshiping him. You know, interestingly enough, the Pharisees are watching this. They've been utterly defeated by Jesus, so let's read to the end of the chapter, verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, 
and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. You know, Jesus is saying, Listen to why I came. Those who claim they're just fine, there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not blind. Those are the people who say, I don't need a savior. And Jesus says, I came into this world to utterly blind them. I'll make them even blinder than they were before. But Jesus says, I also came for those who know how blind they presently are, who know how desperately they need a savior. I came to give them sight. That's my mission. So here we have the proud not finding him, the humble being made into his image, being made new. And the Pharisees hear this, and they're enraged. Are you saying we're blind, they say? And he says, well, you guys are a special case. You have a great deal of knowledge about the Bible, and so you do have a great deal of light, and yet you don't see the greatness of your sins and your misery, and therefore your guilt remains. I hope that we see this. This is the greatest need that we have, to recognize how blind we all are. To say with John Newton, I once was blind, I once was lost, I once was a wretch. I need to come to Jesus because I desperately need a savior. May that be how we respond to him. Because if we respond to him that way, we will find him to be our healer. John, I think one of the interesting things that happens in anyone's life when they when they give their life over to Christ, he is an absolutely new influence upon them. They, they take direction from a completely different place. Their lives should begin to reflect him. Yeah, and, and they do. I mean, when anyone is truly born again, it's, it's phenomenal what begins to happen. I mean, often, you know, there are people who are friends of someone who is completely born again, and they've noticed. I mean, Ben, I have a... I have a memory of, of a guy, he actually did come to Christ, but my first contact with him is he came to see me because he said, I don't know what happened to my wife. I don't think I'm married to the same woman anymore ever since she became a Christian. And I said, well, is that good or bad? And he says, it's phenomenal. I mean, what has happened to her has been such a positive change. The reason I want to come to see you is just because I want to know what happened to her. And that is true of all that are truly born again. They believe, they take direction from Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in them, all things are now new. That's a beautiful thing. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Crossroads, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. From February 7th to 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean Cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curacao, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and now confirmed special friends and musicians Shane and Angela Weeb. I guarantee you'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, you'll laugh and be encouraged, and you'll enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. The Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise is a unique opportunity for connection, and we'd love to see you join us. 
come on your own or with family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. Check it all out at backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425.